Good morning, everyone. Um, as she had said, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. So if you're not already there, please go there. Uh, so far, what we've seen in chapter 7, uh, this whole chapter is centered around the discussion of marriage and singleness. And so Paul has talked about how some had lifted up marriage to a place where it shouldn't have been, where they said, if you're not married, then you're not glorifying God. Others were uplifting singleness, saying, if you're not single, you're not glorifying God. And they're really putting pressures on other people to either go one way or the other. And so what Paul is clarifying here is that uh, singleness is good and marriage is good. That God has ordained marriage, that uh, a family unit is a good thing, that having children and raising up is a good thing, and you can honor God by doing that. Uh, but as well, singleness is a good thing, that there is a gift called the gift of singleness that some have. Uh, it's not going to be for most people, but some people do have this gift and where they don't have strong sexual desires, they don't have a desire to get married. And so what that allows them to do is to have full service to God. So the married person is going to have a divided attention. The married person has a spouse to think about. They have potentially children to think about, and it's going to take up their time. And so the single person, on the other hand, does not have many of these concerns. And so Paul is trying to address these things, and as we're going to see today, he's going to go deeper into those concerns. What concerns do married people have that are both good and bad concerns that are going to distract them from having full-time service to the Lord? And for those who are single or might have the gift of singleness, what can they do as single people to devote their entire selves to Christ? Because they don't have the same distractions. They don't have the things that are dragging them to think about things of this world. They have full time. They have full reign to serve God. And so Paul is giving these warnings. He's giving this message. So that way those who are single who do not have these same concerns are able to take full advantage of that uh, instance. So let's go ahead and read starting at verse 32. It says, but I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. So what Paul is doing here is he's continuing on this argument that we saw last week. Um, and again, he's talking about the concerns of marriage. And so he begins here in verse 32 saying, but I want you to be free from concern. And so what, what are these concerns? Well, we, if we jump back and see the beginning of his argument at verse 25, we'll see. In verse 25, he says, Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. And so the advice that Paul has been giving here in the past several verses is this advice to be single. And he prefaces this argument with saying this is not a command from the Lord. And this is important to understand because uh, as Christians, we are commanded to obey all the commands of Christ. And so if we go against the commands of Christ, what we're doing is we're going into sin. And so Paul's made it clear here that the advice he is giving to us is not a command from God. And what that does is it freezes us up to go one way or the other. It's not something that we must follow. But that also doesn't mean that we can just brush aside what Paul's saying here. We can't hear Paul's words and say, well, it's not a command. I can just ignore the whole thing. Because again, Paul is someone who has uh, been given the Spirit. He is an apostle. Um, as he is writing this, this is the Holy Spirit leading him to write these words. And so the advice is good. The advice is something that we should follow. 
And so Paul attempts to give us the guidelines about his advice. There are certain individuals who are going to follow this advice. There are certain people who are going to be able to do it. But there is not a restraint. There is not a command that is for all people to follow here. And so specifically, again, Paul is talking about those with the gift of singleness. Uh, If you don't have the gift of singleness, it can actually be worse for you to try to remain single. And this is because you have sexual desires, you have a desire to get married, and if you just continually push that off, what's going to happen is those desires grow and they grow and they grow and they start to consume you, and then you fall into sexual sin. And so if you don't have the gift of singleness and you find yourself to be single at the time, well, you can take advantage of that current singleness, uh, but don't put off marriage forever. It is good for you to seek a husband, it is good for you to seek a wife if you do not have that gift. But if you do have that gift, you shouldn't be pressured into getting married. Uh, Oftentimes this happens where you're young and you might have that gift and people are like, well, no, no, just go get married. Why? Because marriage is a good thing. Well, yes, but marriage might not be a good thing for that specific person. Because if they have the gift of singleness, Paul is telling you, use that gift. Don't throw it away. This is a wonderful gift from God. It is a spiritual gift, and God wants to use you in a specific way, so he has gifted you with this. He has gifted you with not having strong sexual desires. He has gifted you with the desire to remain single and to serve the Lord entirely. And so use that gift if you have it. Now, what he wants to warn the uh, singles about is the concerns of marriage. And so this is something that is true, that all marriages come with concerns. But not all the concerns of marriage are bad concerns. There are absolutely things about marriage that are going to concern us that that are going to be negatives. What we have in marriage is we have two people who are sinners coming together and living with each other full time. And what's going to happen when we have two people living together full time is the sin is going to be exposed more and more and more. And so if you have two people coming into marriage not dealing with their sin, you're going to have a rough marriage. It's going to be a hard time. And so Paul wants the single person who might not have the gift of singleness that is desiring to get married, he's warning them about these concerns. Be wary that marriage isn't a fix-all solution. Marriage doesn't just automatically make life better. Marriage takes work. Because you're entering a marriage with someone who is sinning, just like you, it is going to take a lot of work. It's going to add concerns to your life. And so what the Bible does for us is it gives us a lot of guidelines. What should we do when we are seeking marriage to, to get rid of those bad things and to support what is good in marriage? Well, one advice, piece of advice we are given is to not be unequally yoked. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 14 says this. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? And so oftentimes what you'll see, especially with younger people, is they're a Christian and they find someone that they really like and they start dating and they say, well, I really want to get married to this person. And you start asking questions. You find out, well, the other person's not actually a Christian. And like, yeah, but, you know, I, I really think that this is supposed to work out. We get along really well, and they push for this marriage to happen against the biblical advice. Well, what's, why is the Bible warning us about this? What happens when you marry someone like that? Because what oftentimes happens is while you're dating and while you're first married, there's this kind of honeymoon phase where everything just seems to go well. You don't want to get in arguments, so you don't start them. But once you're in the marriage, you're in the marriage for life. And so the arguments start coming up, and the disagreements start coming up. And now you're married to someone who doesn't have the same understanding of life as you, who doesn't have the same worldview as you, and then if you bring children into the mix, doesn't have the same desire for your children as you, and it's only going to cause compounding problems. And some people say, well, you know, I'll marry them, and then they'll get saved through me. 
And we'll see, we saw earlier in chapter seven how he talks about if you're married and you're a Christian, don't just get divorced because the other person is not a believer. But the issue with that is that's someone who was not a believer and they're married and they become a believer. The Bible doesn't say go put yourself in that situation because it's not a good situation. But if you happen to find yourself in that situation, stay together. And so the biblical advice is find someone who is a Christian, find someone with the same worldview as you, find someone you can do ministry with, and you're going to make marriage easier. You're going to get rid of some of the, the negative sides of marriage. There'll still be some stuff there, but you'll get rid of some of them. Uh, Proverbs 21.19 says, It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. And so what Chris has talked about in the past few sermons, he's talked about there are some natural sins to women and there are some natural sins to men. The natural sin of the woman who is supposed to submit herself to her husband is to be controlling, contentious, and vexing. The natural sin of the man who is supposed to lead his wife like Christ, uh, love his wife like Christ loved the church, is to abdicate that responsibility, to be selfish, to not care as much, and to just seek his own way. And so that becomes a lazy and useless husband. And so uh, the advice that the Bible says is don't seek someone out like that. And better yet, you should not be that person either. And so a good advice for someone who is seeking marriage is look at the standard for the opposite sex. If you're a man, look at the standard for a wife and attain to find a wife of that standard. But realize that a wife of that standard is not going to want to be with you who's down here. She's going to want to be with you who's up here with her as well. So attain to that standard as you look for a wife of that same standard. And the same for you women. If you're looking for a husband, look at what the Bible says a husband should be and find a man of that standard. But he is not going to want to be with you down here. you got to meet that standard as well. So husbands, do not be lazy. Do not abdicate your responsibility. Wives, do not be vexing or contentious. If you do this and you enter in a marriage with someone who is, is attempting to be at that level, the same as you, you're still going to have sin. You're still going to have struggles. You're still going to have contentions in the marriage as you get to work with one another as sin is still there. But it's going to be, be much better for you if you are trying to work on yourself first rather than just trying to find the better person who's going to bring you up with them. Make yourself better. Make yourself more holy. Be obedient to Christ on your own, and then find someone who is also obedient to Christ. And things will go much better for you. And so there are obviously these negative effects of marriage because of sin, because of who we are. We're going to be bringing troubles into marriage. And so we have to be aware of those. And so Paul wants uh, the single people to be aware of this. There are concerns in marriage that you need to be aware of so that way you don't go in wide-eyed and thinking this is going to fix everything. But there are also other concerns that are good concerns. There are also other commands that God has for inside of marriage that you're going to be distracted by, that you're going to spend your time on, that God has actually commanded you to do. And so they're concerns, but they are good concerns. And so what God has commanded for husband and wife is to love and respect one another. The husband and wife are going to be uh, spending time on the well-being of their spouse. They're going to be spending time on the well-being of their children. They're going to be building up that family unit, and that takes time away from the Lord. That, that means that you're going to be part-time serving and pleasing the Lord and part-time serving and pleasing your family. But it is a good thing that you do that. We're commanded to do this. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 22, says this, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. And verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
And so these are good and God-honoring concerns. When a wife concerns herself with her husband and her submission to him, she has a good and God-honoring concern. And what's amazing is that uh, if you ever read through studies on happiness and security that people have in marriage, you'll find that marriages that follow this pattern have the most happiness, have the most safe feeling amongst them. And it's funny because, uh, you know, we have feminism today, which kind of pushes the opposite of this, that they call this a suppressive thing, that calling a woman to be submissive to her husband is suppressive to the woman. But then you look at the marriages and the marriages where the woman is not submissive to her husband are the worst marriages. The marriages where the woman is submissive to her husband are the best marriages. And you'll find that the women in these marriages have the most peace, they have the most joy, they have the most comfort. Why? Because they know they have a husband who loves them. They know who, they have a husband who is looking out for their best interest. And so their, their submission to their husband becomes easier over time. It starts off hard because, again, the desire of the woman is to be over her husband because of sin. But as she submits to her husband, it becomes easier and easier, and life becomes better and better, and the marriage grows stronger. And the same for the husband. The husband is called to love his wife like Christ loved the church. And I think the reason we don't see this as hard as a wife submitting to her husband is because we don't understand love. We have to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And what did Christ do for the church? He died for us. He, he was in heaven. He did not have to come down to earth. He did not have to put aside his glory. He did not have to put on flesh. He did not have to be humbled. But he did all those things. And he did the will of the Father, not his own will. And he followed the will of the Father all the way to the cross, laying down his life for his church. Husbands, love your wives like that. It is a very high calling. It is a very hard calling. Understand love better, and you'll understand why wives submitting to their husbands and husbands loving their wives is just as difficult for each person. And again, the, the natural sin of the man is to abdicate that responsibility, to seek his own, to seek after himself, to make his wife just a servant of his rather than him the leader of her. And so husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. And Proverbs 12, 4 says this, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. When a married couple does this, the marriage shines. And it's a good concern to have. It's a good thing for a husband and wife to work on this. But again, it is a concern that comes with marriage. It is a concern that a single person's not going to have to look after. Another concern that parents have, or uh, husband and wife have once they have children, is that they are now parents. And they have commands from God on how to raise their children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 4, says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Parents are commanded to do this. Raise up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Raise up your children in the way that they should go. It's definitely a concern, but it is a good concern. It's a God-honoring concern. And it's something that every parent must do. Proverbs 22.6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. These responsibilities are important. These responsibilities take time. Children don't grow up in a day. It takes 
multiple decades, hopefully not three or four decades, but multiple decades for the children to grow up. And so this is something the parents are concerned with day after day, week after week, year after year, and it's taking up time, but it's a good use of the time of the parent. And so they have this division of time that the single person has to be aware of. When you get married, odds are you're going to have children. And when you have children, you're going to have to raise them up, and it's going to take time away from service of, to God. But we're all commanded to do this. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says this, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for these of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so if we say that the married person having these distractions is a bad thing or is sinful somehow, well, then we go against what Scripture teaches. We are specifically commanded to be concerned about these things. We're specifically commanded to care for our wives, to care for our husbands, to care for our children, to care for our families. And so while all these concerns are added upon for those who get married, they are good concerns. But just know they're there. Be wary that if you're single and you get married, these things are all coming with it. You're not just getting married and having just a fun time. It will be fun. You will have a good time. But there's a lot more that comes with marriage. And so be aware of that. And so what's Paul's advice going back to the single person? Well, he saw this is, uh, continuing in verse 32. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. See, the married person's concerned about their husband or their wife. They're concerned about their children. They're concerned about raising the next generation up. But the single person doesn't have these concerns. The single person has a freedom or a liberty that the married person does not have. They have the ability to concern themselves about the things of the Lord and how they may please him. I've done youth ministry or children's ministry in one way or another since I was 18 years old. And the question that comes up over and over and over again, sometimes from the same person almost every week, what is God's will for my life? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Well, it's right here. Seek how you can please the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us that we were created, or that God created good works for us to walk in. And we can read through the Bible, we can see all the commands, and there they are for you. God tells us how to live our lives. God tells us how to best orient our lives. We simply need to read his word and figure out what it is. And so it's going to start with our thoughts, it's going to start with a renewing of our mind, and it's going to lead into our actions. I'm going to go more over those thoughts and actions at the end of the sermon, but just know that that's what your purpose in life is. Please the Lord. Live your life according to his word. You don't have to save yourself, and that's the amazing thing about Christ. He saved you. Now you're simply just walking in his good works. Now you're just doing his will in your life. And so it's important that we know as single people, if you are single, even if you have a desire to get married eventually, while you are single, that you have a liberty that married people don't. You have a, a freedom of time that married people do not have, and there is a good use of that free time, and there is a very bad use of that free time. And so you as a single person who is a Christian should have a full desire to just dive deeper into Christ, dive deeper into his word, dive deeper into doing the works that he has called you to do because you have that free time. Hebrews chapter 13, starting at verse 15, says this, Through him then let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name, and do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. The Bible tells us that we are a living sacrifice. And this is what it means to be a living sacrifice. That you are continually giving thanks to God, that you have his word on your lips, and that you do not cease in doing what is good. 
It is a continuous thing in our lives. And so that is how you should be using your time, doing the work of Christ, doing what he has called you to do. And it should be something that is a never-ending thing. You're never done with that work until the day you go home, which is to say when you go to heaven. Now, there's obviously a bad way to use this time. Uh, especially, I think, in our modern culture, there, there's a, a huge desire to seek out self-pleasure, to seek out entertainment, to just kind of make life all about pleasing yourself. And really, that's come into the church as well, where many Christians even live their lives that way. They come to church on Sunday, but between Sunday and Sunday, they don't really think about God at all. It's just, how do I please myself? How do I get more entertainment? How do I watch more TV? How do I hang out with my friends more? How do I do all these things that I like doing that please and fulfill me? And that is an absolute waste of your time. That is laziness. There's a, a movement within the United States to kind of push to a lower and lower work week. There's some advocating for a three-day work week because they need a four-day weekend every weekend. And this is laziness. How is it that you can work so much less than people in the past? In the past, people worked 12-hour days, six, seven days a week because they had to. That's how you survived. If you weren't working, you were dying. And we've gotten to the point today where people work for eight hours and they can't do anything the rest of the day. They just need to veg out on the couch and watch TV. They go out for an evening and they just need a week to rest. I need me time. That's the culture we live in, and that is laziness. That is a waste of your time. Now, there is time for rest. We have the Sabbath a day of rest. There's time to rest at the end of the day, but your day should be filled with work. And for those of you who have jobs, obviously you have part of that day of work being for money, being for uh, providing resources. But then outside of that, you have extra time for work, and that work that you're doing is for the Lord. It is in the ministry. It is doing what he has called you to do, ministering to one another. And when you don't take that time, what you're doing is being lazy. Proverbs 13 verse 4 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. The Bible tells us over and over again that when we do this type of work, we're building up treasures in heaven. And the sluggard who is lazy gets nothing, but the diligent builds up their reward in heaven. Do not be lazy with your time, especially when you're single. You have this time, use it well. Use it for Christ. Do his work. Ephesians chapter 5, I think, sums it up well, starting at verse 15. It says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for the things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. This is our call as Christians. Do not be unwise in how you walk. The world walks in unwiseness. The world walks in foolishness. The world seeks its own. Do not walk like them. But be wise, be careful of your step. Be careful of your time and how you're spending it. You can have some entertainment, you can have leisure time, those things aren't bad in themselves, but when your life is about seeking those things out and not doing the things of Christ, you have geared your life in the wrong direction. And what you're doing is you're hindering your walk, you're hindering your faith, you're hindering the works that you could be doing for Christ because you're only seeking your own and you have made Christ secondary in your life. The married and the single alike need to make Christ their focus. But the single person has much more time. 
to do this. So there's a division of marriage. Paul goes on and talks about this in verse 33 and 34. The married person has this division of interest. Starting in verse 30, he says, But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So what Paul is essentially doing here is he's repeating kind of the same thing for both men and women. There are men who are married who have concerns of things of the world, and there are men who are single who don't have that same concern. There are women who are married who have concerns of the things of this world, and there are women who are single who do not have this same concern. Um, so there's a, uh, we've already covered some of those concerns, so I kind of want to address this passage a little differently. I want to go over a few of the points he's made here. And so the first one I want you guys to look at is that he talks about them being concerned about the things of the world. And so I think there's a, usually a specific connotation when we hear about things of the world that we immediately think it's bad. Um, and oftentimes it is. When we read scripture, it talks about do not be conformed to this world. It talks about not having the wisdom of this world. It talks about how the world is dying. The world is passing away. And so, yes, oftentimes when we hear about the things of the world, it is bad. There is a negative connotation there. Um, but what he's really saying here is that they're concerned about things of this present life. They're concerned about things that are going to be passing away. But what we cannot do is we cannot take this fact that something is passing away and automatically make it sin. What we'd be doing is we'd be saying that God has called us to love our uh, spouse, but then that's also sin somehow. So that's not what's happening here. What he's talking about when he's talking about the things of the world are things of this present life. And I kind of want to go through a little bit to show you that that is the case. Um, God intends, intends to redeem this world. When he first made it, he made it good. On the sixth and seventh day, he called everything that he had good. The world was good. What happened was sin came in and corrupted the things of this world. But God intends to redeem the world. Romans 4.13 says this, For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through righteousness of faith. And so Abraham and his descendants are, are inheriting the world. So if the world's bad, why would they want to inherit it? The world itself was good. What is bad is the sin that is in the world. And Christ, or God intends to have a new heavens and a new earth. He is renewing things. He is redeeming things to himself. And we even see this about ourselves. We are being redeemed. We were once part of the world, and we are redeemed. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So you and I are being redeemed to Christ. You and I were once part of the world. You and I once lived in the world. You and I once had the world's wisdom, but no longer. Because we were drawn to the, by the Father, we were redeemed right by Christ, we were sealed by the Spirit, and we now have faith in Jesus Christ, and we are redeemed. And so just because something is of the world does not necessarily make it bad. What makes it bad is the, the focus of the individual. Are you focusing on it in a way that is sinful? Or are you focusing on it in a way that is glorifying to God? And so the reason marriage is something that is of this world is because it is something that is passing away. Uh, we read, I think, in verse 30 or 31 where he talks about um, marriage is something that does not continue on. So marriage is till death do us part. Once you die, that marriage ends. And so in heaven, you're no longer married. So the married couple is working on something that does not persist into eternity. 
Now, when you're working on uh, doing the will of God in life, the Bible says that you are building up treasures in heaven. So you're working on things that are eternal in that sense. You're interacting with things that are temporal, but you're building up treasure on something that is eternal. Well, the married couple, when they are focusing on things of the world, they're focusing on their marriage, and that marriage does not persist. That marriage does not continue on into heaven. It does not continue on to eternity. So that is what he's saying. It's something of this present life. You can still honor God in doing it, but it's not something that is going to continue. So all the work you're putting into marriage isn't necessarily going to continue into eternity. Yet you are still called to honor God and putting work into it. So the married person is concerned about that. The, the single person is not concerned about that. They don't have as many deep concerns in the world. But this doesn't mean that we don't all have a certain extent of concerns in the world. Everyone married or unmarried needs to do things that are in the world. And what we do as we work in this world, again, is we're building treasures in heaven. And so we see this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. It says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So even when we're doing work on this earth, we do work as if we're doing it for the Lord. Your, your manager is not Christ, right? Your manager is another human being, and you're doing work for them. But as you work, you are laboring as if for the Lord, and God honors that labor. So everyone, has, to some extent or another, has a dealing in the world where they're dealing with earthly things, things that are of this world, but they are not focusing on it in a way that is sinful. They're not making their life centered around the worldly thing. They're simply utilizing the things of this world as God has intended them to utilize them. And they're building up treasures in heaven. And so all of us have this, uh, this distinct, or all of us have a little bit of, uh, interaction with the world. And what we cannot do is we cannot do what many people have done for many generations now is they've made a, a sacred secular divide. Um, and really the church has become largely Gnostic in the sense where they say, you know, there, there's sacred things, which is, you know, the Bible, prayer, church, and so I'll, I'll make my life about those things, but all those other things in the world I'm not going to concern myself about at all. And so they get out of culture, they get out of politics, they get out of interacting with the world, and we become almost like the Amish where we've closed ourselves in, and we don't deal with the sec sec secular things at all, and we only deal with what we call sacred. Well, the problem is the Bible is called to go out into the world and to deal with those things. And so we aren't keeping Christ in a little sacred box. What we're doing is just as we have been redeemed by Christ, as we're going out and we're redeeming the world for Christ. And so we're going out into the culture, we're going out into politics, and we're bringing Christ with us. And we see uh, throughout the scriptures uh, in the New Testament that as the gospel is preached, there are people of many different positions that become Christians. There's a Roman centurion who becomes a Christian. There are business leaders that become Christian. There are politicians who become Christian. And none of them say, well, I can't do this anymore because I'm a Christian and I just need to leave this and just do stuff in the church. The centurion remains the centurion. The business leader remains a business leader. The politician remains a politician. And now they're doing that work for Christ rather than for themselves. Now they're doing things that honor God rather than honoring themselves. But they remain in those positions. And so, um, I, again, that is just to not confuse when we talk about things of the world it, just because there is sin in the world does not mean when we interact with the world that we are sinning by default. We are just like Christ. We are using the things of this world for the glory of God. And so we can do that in all things, including marriage. And so when the husband and the wife have this concern of things of the world, they are not sinning. And Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is good for the man to be, not good for the man to be alone. I will make for him a helper suitable for him. And so he's concerned about something of the world, but God made it for him. 
the man finds a wife and he finds something that is good. So just because it is of the world does not make it bad. Now, there are obviously bad concerns we can have. We can idolize things of the world. We can have concerns about them in a way that is ungodly. And so we need to be wary of that too. Some people idolize marriage to the point where they have made marriage the center of their life, not Christ. Marriage is something that's going to take some of your time, but it should not take all of your time. You should still have time to devote to the Lord, and you should, as a married couple, be in ministry together. And so we can see these bad concerns, and we see this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Um, and here he's talking about the concerns of the world that some have. He says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then going to verse 33, he says, But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so the way the world concerns themselves with things of the world is they make idols out of the world. They make an idol out of money. I need to seek that. I need to gain more of it. They make an idol out of food. I need to engulf more of it, and they become gluttonous. They make idols about the things of the world, and their concern is about the things of the world only. And so the Bible says, don't concern yourselves about those things in this way. Recognize that Christ is sovereign. God is sovereign over all things, and he will provide for you each day. The Bible says that your life, each new day that you live, is a gift from God. And so live each day as if it is a gift from God, because it is. And so we can still plan for the future. We can still think about things. It doesn't mean never think about anything, but it means recognize that you are Christ's, and he is your sustainer. And so even when you're planning for the future, you have to factor in God. And we see this in James chapter 4, verse 15. He says, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. When the world plans, they just think all about themselves. They say, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to go do that, and they act as if it's a guarantee. These things are going to take place. Why? Because it's their will that it take place. But the Bible says Christians should not live like that. Christians recognize that each day is from God. And so if the Lord wills, tomorrow I'll do this and that. If the Lord wills in a month, I will do this or that. If the Lord wills in a few years, I will do this or that. And we live each day in obedience to God. And when those things don't take place, we don't have a deep dreaded concern over it because we knew, well, it must not have been God's will. God has brought me over here rather than over there. But when we don't realize that about God, what happens is those times come, what we expected to happen doesn't happen, and then we are concerned and worried, and that is sinful. So keep your focus on Christ. Make sure that when you plan things in this life, when you look at things of this world, including your spouse, you're not making an idol. You're not putting it as the highest priority. Christ is still the highest priority, but you are going to have to deal with things of this world, things that will pass away. So do so in a way that honors God. And again, Paul's main point here is that the single person doesn't have to worry about all this. The married person is going to be thinking about all these things, and this causes a division. The married person is going to have some of their time devoted to Christ, some of their time devoted to their spouse, some of their time devoted to Christ, some of their time devoted to their family. And this is just something that's going to happen. But you single person, you don't have this division. You single person don't have to worry about these things. You can go on and have more time to devote to Christ. The husband and wife are looking at pleasing one another. The single person is only desiring to please Christ. The husband and wife desire to please one another. Now, once again, we see this as a, a good advice for marriage. If your marriage is not about you pleasing your spouse, you're not going to have a good marriage. If your marriage is about seeking your spouse to please you, you're going to have a bad marriage. Your marriage should be about you pleasing your spouse, and your spouse's marriage should be about them pleasing you. 
And when you both are focusing on your work in the marriage, it goes much better. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And so there's a pleasing of one another that is both physical, emotional, and spiritual. I said both, but there are three things there. Um, and 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3 says, The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. So you and the marriage please one another. Physically, please one another. Spiritually, please one another. Husbands, you are called the spiritual leader of your home. That means you need to be leading your wife. You need to be leading your wife spiritually in reading the word, in praying, in doing ministry. Do not be lazy in these things, but take that charge seriously. Please them, your spouse emotionally. Do not just be concerned about your own thoughts and your own actions. Have concern about them. What are they thinking about? What are their concerns? How can I please them? When both of you approach the marriage like that, it is going to go better. But again, the single person doesn't have to worry about this. The married couple is, is going to have much time put into this, much thought put into this, especially if your marriage is in a rocky place. It's going to take a while to get it back to where you want it to be. So the single person doesn't have this worry. And so again, this is why Paul is giving this advice. Be free of these concerns. And when you're free of these concerns, you can go out and you can do so much for Christ. The married couple has to deal with these things. The married couple has to think about these things. The married couple has to dwell on these things all the time. But you as single, you're carefree. Your mind is empty. You can go to bed whenever you want. You can eat whenever you want. You can do as you like. And that free time, again, can have downsides to it, but it can also have much benefit to you. And so Paul gives this advice, and he says in verse 35, This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. This is the point of Paul's advice. If you're single, you can have undevoted, or sorry, undistracted devotion to the Lord. Undevoted distraction, that's... that's doesn't sound as good. You know, undistracted devotion to the Lord. So take advantage of that. Take full advantage of that. What are you doing in your life? Are you serving God? Do you have undistracted devotion? Or are you constantly distracting yourself with everything around you? Are you serving Christ or are you serving yourself? Take Paul's advice as a single person. Use the time wisely. And again, he says there's no restraint. He's not saying this is a law for all people. He's not saying you can't go get married if you so desire to. But if you're single with the gift or not, use this time now. Serve God as much as you can. Because this undistracted devotion is not going to be forever. It is only here for a time. Take full advantage of it. And so I talked about those thoughts and actions that we are going to have. What is it that we can do? How is it that we can live our lives with un... I'm going to keep messing that one up undistracted devotion to the Lord. What is it that we can do? Well, again, it's going to start with your thoughts. It's going to start with your mind because where your mind goes, your actions follow. And so you need to be in God's word. You need to be reading. You need to be studying. In 1 Corinthians, uh, I think it was in springtime, I forget which month, but we went through 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we went through verses 18 to the end of the chapter, and we talked about godly wisdom. If you guys 
did not catch that, I would recommend you go listen back through that. It's the three-part series. If you don't remember it, I would recommend going listening to it. But it, we went through very, much more deeply into this godly wisdom. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says this, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so what's the distinction here? Those who are perishing, they find the cross to be foolish. It doesn't make sense to them. So how is it that you can see it as the power of God? What is taking place here? You have godly wisdom. The Holy Spirit testifies to us about the truth of God's word. And so now you have godly wisdom simply in the fact that you have faith. And so what is true about God cannot be known by natural revelation. Now, by natural revelation, as we see in Romans chapter 1, we can know that there is a God. We can know that there is a creator. Things could not exist without a creator. And so Romans chapter 1 says no one has an excuse to say that there is no God. No one has an excuse to not worship that God, even if they aren't sure who he is. They must worship God. But we cannot know about God because we are creation and he is the creator. There's a separation there, and he is unknowable to us. So how is it that we can know and speak about God? Well, he has to come and reveal himself to us. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He put on flesh and he dwelt among us. He came to reveal the Father. He says, no one knows the Father but me and those who I reveal it to. We learn about God through the work of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit testifies to the truth of his word. And so when we dwell on this, we gain godly wisdom. And now some people say, you know, uh, I've tried reading and I just don't get it. I've tried studying. It's just, it's not something for me. You know, there's other better men out there who can study and really get to know this stuff, but it's really not for me. I'm going to go about doing other things. But the Bible doesn't really make that distinction. And in fact, the Bible tells us to seek wisdom. It's not some of you seek wisdom and others don't care about it. Every one of us is called to seek wisdom. James chapter one, verse five says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So read God's word and pray. Just do this continuously. Do this day and night, and your studying will be blessed. God blesses the study, and you don't always have to do it alone. Again, that, we're here for fellowship, and part of that fellowship is studying God's word. That's what we do Sunday mornings, and that's what we do during Bible studies. There are many different times where if you're not getting it, there are people that you can sit under who can help you understand it. Don't think you're going at it alone but pray and read and study and find people to study with. God honors this. Psalm chapter 1, starting at verse 1. It says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. When you have your focus on something a lot, what happens is you just can't stop thinking about it. And it's usually a good thing. You just, you just love it so much that you're just thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And so blessed is the one who delights in God's law day and night. That means you're waking up and it's on your mind. You're going to bed and it's on your mind. Uh, oftentimes when I'm preparing for sermons, this happens to me where I just stay awake for an extra hour or two laying in bed because I can't stop thinking about what I'm going to preach about. It's just so heavy on my mind that I can't stop thinking about it. But then there's times where I'm not reading as much and I notice that. I'm kept up for different reasons, and it's usually not good reasons. And so it's better to be meditating on the word, God's word day and night, having be, that be 
what is continually going through your mind. Because this is what transforms you. This is what brings godly wisdom. This is how you are transformed by Christ. The renewing of your mind continually, day after day after day, reading in God's word and studying it. And when you do that, your actions will follow. When your mind is about Christ, your actions are about Christ. Because you're going to then be constantly thinking, how can I serve God today? How can I be obedient to his commands today? What is the work that he has called me to do? What can I do today to serve him? And so there are many actions that we can take, and one of those actions is caring for others. Again, we've talked in our announcements about many different ways that we're attempting to care for others, but there is even more that we can do because a lot of those things are kind of passive. It's, it's in giving of money. It's in um, you know just donating in that way, but you can donate money and you can donate time. You can donate labor. You can donate effort. James chapter 1, verse 27 says this, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is something that God has commanded of the church. And so often today when you talk about to modern Christians about this, they say, well, we're doing that through welfare. We're doing that through the government, right? Food stamps, welfare, they have the government-run orphanages, they run the the uh, all these other different systems that that they say, well, I'm just paying my taxes in there, I'm, I'm honoring God in that. That's not the case. God has not given that role to the government. God has given that role to you. Once again, we're being passive and lazy when we don't go out and do this work ourselves. And so it might be that the government does some of this work, but that's not an excuse for you to not do it as well. That's not an excuse for you to not honor God in giving of your time to care for those in need, to helping the homeless, to helping the widow, to helping the orphan. Do this work as well, because you've been called to it. This is how we honor God. Another thing we are called to do is to have church-specific ministries. And this is what we do amongst the body. And I think oftentimes when we hear ministry, we're so used to hearing things like children's ministry, worship ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry. And we think those are the ministries. Uh, but actually when the scriptures talk about ministry, it's talking about your spiritual gift. So each one of you has a ministry, even if you're not part of a church ministry. Each one of you has a gift that you are called to use in the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 and 5 says this, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. And then verse 12, for, every, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, uh, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. God has gifted to each one of us spiritual gifts, and he intends for us to use them. And again, if you are someone who is single, you have so much more time to use your gift. So what are you doing with it? Are you just letting it go by the wayside? Are you utilizing it in the church amongst the body? Are you using it on Sundays? Are you using it throughout the week? Or is it just kind of an idle tool? Or maybe you don't even know what your gift is because you're not even around the body enough to know what your gift is. Each one of us has a gift, and each one of us is called to use it. Why? Because we're one body with many members. And just as my body has many members in it and functions all together, the church body has many members and we function best when all the members are doing their function correctly. So we all have these spiritual gifts and we're all called to use them, whatever the gifts may be. It could be teaching, it could be encouraging, it could be giving. Whatever your gift is, you're called to use it. First Peter 4 verse 10 says this, each, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another 
as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Part of God's grace to you is that you have a spiritual gift. Part of God's grace is that you can serve in the church. So if you are not doing that, why are you not doing that? If you're not using your gift, you're wasting the very grace that God gave you in giving you the gift. So if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, be a part of the body, be a part of the fellowship, and through that you will discover what your gift is because other people will be able to point it out to you. You know, you're really good at teaching. You have a very generous heart. You're very hospitable. You're very this, you're very that, and they're going to point out to you what your gifting is, and then you can actually be utilized by Christ in the body. But if you're not around, no one's going to be able to see your gift because they don't ever talk to you. They're never going to be able to interact with you to, to see what your gifting is. And you're going to just be in and out of the church, and eventually you'll, you'll go off and do whatever you want to do. And you're not going to use your gift for Christ. So especially you who are single, you have so much more time to use your gift. Use it wisely. Last one, evangelism and discipleship. This is something we're all called to do. Matthew 28, starting at verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Evangelism, I think, is something that oftentimes gets misunderstood. I think uh, for people of my generation and older, maybe not the younger generations as much anymore, but we think of Billy Graham. Because uh, Billy Graham was a great evangelist, and so when we think of evangelism, we think, man, I can't do that. I can't stand in front of thousands of people and preach the gospel, so you know I can't do evangelism. Well, that might be a gifting of evangelism where someone specifically has that gift to do it on a massive scale, but we're all called to evangelism. And it can happen one-on-one. -on -one. It happens when you talk to your friends. It happens when you talk to your family. It happens when you talk to your coworkers. And you can share the gospel with them, and that is evangelism. Sharing with them the message of the gospel is evangelism, and we are all called to do it. And then we can also do discipleship. Evangelism happens outside the church. Discipleship happens within the church. And discipleship is where you come and you learn from someone who knows more than you. You learn from someone who has been a Christian longer, who knows the scriptures, who can help you understand the scriptures, who can help guide you in your life to be obedient to the law of God. And we are all called to this discipleship. If you are not either discipling someone or being discipled, you're not doing the right thing. This is an active part of being a Christian, discipling one another, teaching how to obey the commands of God. And if you're not being discipled, again, odds are you're just going to slowly fall away from the church. We need to be discipled. That is an intention of God that we continually gather, that we continually sing praises to him, that we continually hear from his word, and that we continually disciple one another for generation to generation to generation. And the gospel spreads. And so again, if you are single, you have much more time for this work. You can go out and you can do the necessary labors of working for your income, working to provide for your home, your, your place of living, for your food and whatnot. And outside of that, you can serve in the church. You can serve in time of reading and prayer and fasting and studying. You can serve the needs of others. You can serve in evangelism and discipleship. You can do all these things because you have so much more time. But again, if you're someone who's married, don't think, well, that's my excuse. You know, I'm not single, so I don't have to do all those things. It's not the case. You still have to do all those things. You're just going to have a divided time between serving your spouse and serving Christ. So you still need to make that about your business. In fact, a good marriage will do that. A married couple will do that together. They'll pr pray together. They'll read together. They'll study together. They'll, they'll serve in ministry together. 
And so we need to be doing these things. We need to make our lives about serving Christ. Why? Because we are his. We were bought with a price. We are not our own. Our lives aren't about giving ourselves pleasure. Our lives aren't about building ourselves up or making our name great. Our lives are about serving him and making his name great. Our lives are about seeking how we can please the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your guidance in this life, God. God, that you have redeemed all of us, and God, you are continuing to redeem us. You are continuing to transform us. And God, I pray that through the studying of your word, that our minds would be transformed, that we would have a deeper, stronger desire to continue reading, to continue studying, to continue praying. And that, God, that uh, this church and really all churches that are here in the United States and here in this world, God, would just have a strong desire to preach your word, not just within the church, but to go out into the world to preach to the culture, to preach to the nations, to disciple them, to baptize them, to bring them under your care. Because, God, we know that there is no way of salvation except through you. And so as we interact with the world, as we interact with the things of this world, God, we pray that we would do so in a way that honors you. We pray that we would utilize the time that we have, whether married or single, for your glory, God. We pray that we would use our gifts as you have given them to us. And that, God, your name would be lifted up in this church, in this state, in this nation, and in this world. God, we thank you, and we praise your holy name. Amen. And that is the end of this week's podcast. We thank you for joining us for another inspiring message. If you enjoyed this teaching, please take a moment and share it with others. If you're interested and would like to find out more information about our location, time of worship service, or even what ministries we offer, we encourage you to visit our Facebook page at Journey Community Church Fontana, where you can find all that information and more. Again, on behalf of Journey Community Church of Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you here next time.